All right, if you're tuning into this particular episode, you probably already know that the Enneagram is a famous and trendy way to annoy your friends at a dinner party, pigeonhole your partner so you can uh, better psychoanalyze them, and that it was only recently discovered deep in the TikTok underground by renowned Enneagram wizard Ian Morgan Cron. Most of this is false, and with that... I welcome you to Lines and Shapes. Hey, my name is Justin Heap, and full disclosure, I am a certified Enneagram coach, whatever the hell that means, let's be honest. But I do have several years of Enneagram work behind me, and I can say with all honesty, it's only made me more patient in talking about this tool and the complex ancient history, really, that has become the Enneagram as we know it. Now, uh, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of Enneagram podcasts out there, right? So the focus of this episode will not be a recap of any of those podcasts, many of which could be rather helpful. Um, I encourage you to check them out. Um, Jokingly mentioned Ian Morgan Cron in the beginning, and uh, his his podcast called Typology uh, is actually a stellar resource that I highly recommend. Uh, instead, I would really want to talk to you about talking about the Enneagram, if you will. Uh, that is, I want to take a bit more meta approach and explore the impact of this philosophy, some of the dangers inherent in the Enneagram as a trend movement. I'm I'm uh, miming air quotes right now, and hopefully see what patterns emerge as we hold up things like meditation, contemplation, and spirituality too. Uh, Of course, it's still helpful to have a cursory definition of the Enneagram, um, especially because most everyone you talk to, right, if you talk to 100 people, you're going to get probably 100 definitions. Um, I really am of the persuasion that the Enneagram is best understood maybe as a map of the human psyche, uh, albeit a blurry and incomplete smudgy map, but nonetheless a map of the human psyche. And though the tool um, that we're using, the visual circle with the nine points and the lines, the, the tool that you are probably familiar with is not ancient. The philosophies and the traditions that it flows out of and even borrows from really um, is an amalgamation and understanding of humanity and consciousness and virtues and holy ideas, all of these things that that do find uh, their birth, their genesis in really ancient traditions. Um, so it, it, it does it does live in this sort of in between you know place. Um, there's much older psychology tools, especially you know when you consider Freud or even Jung, like, the tools that they were working on predate the Enneagram as we know it in its uh, nine symbol, you know, visual personality map tool thing. Um, But the history of the Enneagram um, does go back very, very, very far. 
specifically through things like Kabbalah, which is the more mystical branch of Judaism, as well as some of the more traditional branches of Judaism. And then even through like early Greek and uh, Egyptian thought as well. And there's there's uh, records and remnant of the philosophy, even specifically through like Asia Minor, through Syria, and, and through some of the more um, Eastern uh, Christian influences like the Desert Fathers. And so, I mean, there's just, there's a tremendous amount of uh, maybe thought leadership or philosophical development that flows into the Enneagram. That's all I'm going to say about that. This is not really a podcast about the history of the Enneagram. Um, maybe we'll do that one in the future and I'll circle back and dive in a little bit deeper. But um, suffice it to say, uh, it is a, it's an important, really helpful tool that I particularly use as a means of, um, of, of becoming more self-aware. And, you know, for me too, that idea of becoming more self-aware is tethered to, uh, this notion of becoming much more kinder and compassionate, uh, with ourselves. And, and uh, I found the Enneagram to be incredibly enlightening. Um, and then there's a lot to be said, too, about the mm, ability for the Enneagram to help us on a journey of iconoclasm, uh, that we would become iconoclasts. Iconoclasm being, you know, the destruction of deeply valued and long-held uh, symbols or pictures of an idea or pictures of a thing that we uh, we sort of idolize or um, you know make make icons of. I mean, and again, this is um, maybe getting getting a little into the weeds or maybe a little granular, but um, the idea being, what pictures have we created of ourselves? You know, what what images? Do we have in mind in our own hearts and in our own uh, in our own heads that we are holding on to that may or may not be accurate or or at the very least they're not the full picture right and so and so the enneagram uh, is is often illuminating in terms of revealing to us these really dark or sometimes really bright sides of ourselves. Um, and there's a lot to be said about the Enneagram as a tool, a means by which we break down those images and we even begin to tear into the illusions that we have created to protect something like what we would refer to as our false self. And, and, and being that this is the first well, proper episode of, of Lines and Shapes, um, Maybe I should just pause it briefly and say, you know, this is all language that um, that I hold dear, that I uh, use often, um, and so it's language that, that that you'll become familiar with if you tune in. Um, but but the idea being that we know we have created uh, so many barriers and really uh, complex, intricate. Ways of protecting ourselves, uh, protecting ourselves, and oftentimes, of course, that begins in childhood, and you know, lots of lots of uh, psychologies and 
you know, behaviorism and uh, humanism. I mean, so many, um, so many foundational uh, therapies all find, you know, their catalyst in this kind of early childhood development, oftentimes subconscious and so on and so forth. But um, the Enneagram can be a terrible and wild gift at just simply showing us uh, sometimes in reflective ways, like, hey, this this is how you typically respond um, in order to protect your true self. And, um, and, 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 you know, we know that because if you've been familiar with, and again, it's gotten so trendy, but if you've, if you've jumped into any sort of Enneagram test, be it narrative or, you know, more of a multiple choice kind of based thing, um, you probably are familiar with some of the accompanying like shame that sort of creeps in there uh, when you see yourself represented. Um, which is also even, it's funny I say that out loud, um, when you see yourself represented, that, that actually speaks of icon uh, anyways. Um, but, but when you see yourself represented in a way that is not super pleasant or delightful or good or wholesome, um, we tend to feel shame in that, you know. And, and even that, which I do not support any shame-based methodologies or practices, but even that is a sign. That's our ego really responding, you know, and, and just is kind of jumping out in front and trying to shut that down, um, or at least it often can be. So, okay, boy, I really, um, I don't know, I got into a lot there. I probably should refer to my napkin of notes. Um Anyways, what else am I excited about? Uh, I'm excited for this episode, but um, I do need to probably, maybe we start here. Well, we've already started, but maybe we we move here. Um, I think that the Enneagram as a trend is very dangerous in, in the same way that doom scrolling is dangerous, you know? Um, um, in the same way that uh, Instagram filters are dangerous, or Snapchat filters, I shouldn't pick on just Instagram, right? But um, it, it, they're, they're dangerous, um, not because they're inherently um, evil. It's not because it, it, it's often, you know, an action that's going to maybe appear or actually be harmful. But we know that lurking beneath that is an element of harm, often self-harm. It just usually takes time before we see those consequences unfolding. Uh, doom scrolling would be a really good example, uh, you know, that the more we invest our mental real estate and, and time, we become anxious, sometimes even fearful. And uh, when we're looking at folks who are always using a, a beautifying Instagram filter, um, we begin to shift our focus away from our true self, our true appearance, and we begin to wish and want and desire to look flawless. And, and, and even the image, the icon that we're seeing in someone else um, on the other side, is not even their true self, right? And so we get stuck in this 
whirlpool of of comparison that leads to condemnation, self-condemnation. Um, and that's dangerous. Dangerous because it can often become incredibly self um, self-righteous. It's like an, an, an act of, of becoming self-righteous in that we begin to place ourselves in this psychoanalytical judgment seat. Oftentimes, um, we, it becomes so easy to make assumptions, um, about friends or someone else. Uh, and we, and, and the reason for that, uh, maybe now's a good time, I guess, just to transition. I don't know. This is what this podcast is, you guys. Um, but, uh, the reason that that becomes so easy is because we are responding to caricatures of the Enneagram, these comic, you know, fake, uh, generalized, magnified, distorted, perverted, um, you know, scenes um, of the Enneagram and specifically shallow uh, scenes at that. You know, this is not the, the depth of the Enneagram, that, that folks are um, making into a trend. It's not the hard inner work. It's not the soul care work of the Enneagram. Um, you know, all of these, like, not all, that's not fair. Many of these, uh, you know, Instagrammable, nine swiping, uh, you know, carousels of promo graphics are just... They're a hollow, falsified, and and shallow uh, picture, and and again, it, it really it, it really ends up resulting in in us thinking that then we have seen ourselves, and that is you know, and that is the the image that we have to live up to, if this is what a type one is, or this is how a type seven should be, or, you know, that's why you act the way you do. You're a nine, so you're just, you know, you're going to um, always narcotize and, you know, you're a seven, so you have to be extroverted and, and on and on and on. And the reality of the Enneagram is, is a rich contemplative labyrinth. It's a, it's a beautiful space. And it's, um, the world, I guess, is, is vast. Uh, the world of the Enneagram is vast. And so if you jump in, you really, really jump in, you will, you will learn very quickly, though you might understand the Enneagram, um, you do not grasp it in its entirety because there again, it's a map of the human psyche. And so the closer you get, you know, it's like falling into this massive map and it has incredible terrain, deep valleys and soaring, you know, mountains that you're just, it's, you can get lost in it. Um, And so all that to say, um, I do find the Enneagram as a trend movement just is just dangerous. And quite frankly, I'm, you know, I'm kind of over it. Well, I mean, I've always, I guess I've always been over it, but um, 
so sometimes I even, uh, I don't always tell people that I am an Enneagram coach because, you know, they're going to rightfully maybe jump to a conclusion. Um, and it's just like, uh, yeah, I'm not really on board with that. Um, I'm much more interested in the long and slow journey into the vast world that is the Enneagram, which is really, um, which is really um, a conversation about becoming more self-aware and destroying some of those false pictures and those false beliefs, breaking through those illusions to see, as Rohr would say, uh, you know, really real reality. Which reminds me a bit of... uh, Ken Wilbur and uh, his philosophy and psychologies around integrated theories. And, you know, his idea is that we would come to see that many, if not all, of the boundaries that, that we have created and live within the world are actually just illusions. And so, you know, he's always trying to get us to well, he and integral theory uh, is always trying to to move us closer to, uh, you know, this the reality as it is really real reality. Uh, maybe we'll do a maybe we'll do a separate podcast on integral theories, which I've become super fascinated with and and uh, really have enjoyed learning more about um, in the last couple of years. But something that. Uh, I want to go back and touch on though um, is uh, that is this idea that the Enneagram as a tool helps us become uh, discerning destroyers of those false pictures and images, so on iconoclasm, which reminds me of uh, the current status of much of spirituality and and maybe specifically within Christianity, maybe specifically. Um, you know, American or Western Christianity, but um, the, the the current fascination might be a good word around deconstruction and and how there's a lot of um, well, there's there's a lot of energy given to that for sure right now, and you know, books and podcasts and interviews and churches doing you know series and different folks talking about the thing. And, and I think that's all well and good. And there's definitely folks on, you know, all kinds of different sides of the thing. And, you know, there's a spectrum, no doubt. But um, but maybe we could stop for a second and just simply appreciate the idea that, um, that even as one is deconstructing, they're also simultaneously rebuilding, reconstructing something around them in their space at the exact same time. You know, they're they're taking away blocks and they're carving out um, real mass. And as they're doing that, though, they're still left with something. And I think a lot of fear around deconstruction is that, you know, you're just, you're left with nothing and it's emptiness and it's it's like a yeah, it's it's a, a nihilistic almost, right? And and that's just not um, real. That's just not the case. And so whenever I hear folks who talk about this, especially more so out of fear, I often just want to come alongside them and and patiently, kindly 
um, tell them, even from from my own experience, having gone through deconstruction, um, or maybe still am going through deconstruction, I guess. But um, you know that that there's nothing necessarily to be afraid of. Um, now, I think there are some some real indicators of health that we can also attribute to a journey around deconstruction. Things like, uh, are, are you going through that process with um, some folks who you trust? I think that's really important. I think that's really wonderful and vital. Um, it, it wouldn't be great to go through that process by yourself, though you might be. That was pretty much my experience. Um, and that, you can be sure, is one of great loneliness and sometimes feelings of despair and sometimes feeling of feelings of, you know, an, an imposter syndrome because you're kind of always having to talk out of both sides of your mouth because you're deconstructing over here in the night and then by day you're expected to, you know, rattle off these particular checklist items of doctrine or belief or whatever the case might be. And, and, um, and if you don't have a safe space to deconstruct with people who you trust, that, that can be hard. Um, but all that to say, the desire is, that's a, that's a human desire to get at the heart, at the core, to tear down any false images. Um, and, and that is a worthy endeavor. And, and for those with, you know, a, um, for those who would count themselves as followers of the Christian way of, of Jesus, it might be helpful for you to hear and to know um, you're in good company. And if God, the source of life, is as eternal, infinite, um, magnificent, grand, and marvelous as, 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 as you and, and, and the whole world has said, then how could we not be led into seasons of deconstruction? I mean, to not deconstruct, to not tear down false images, to not go in search of really real reality would imply that everything we have learned up to this point has been accurate, good, and true. And my friends, that's, that's impossible. That's just not the case. It, it, it cannot be. And so, and so deconstruction like iconoclasm or uh, the breaking of you know, certain illusions, false beliefs, lies, etc., the search of that... Uh, like what the Enneagram teaches as well, right? To try and get behind all of these things, to go back further and further and further and down and down and down into this abyss as maybe the Desert Fathers would refer to it as, you know, that is a worthy pursuit. And as you deconstruct, as you tear down, as you take away, uh, there is something left still. There's something else that you are simultaneously building making, creating, um, which leads me into a very different thought altogether. The reason that there's a spiritual nature to inner innovation is because we understand there, 
there is this source of all life, which is reflective of a creative nature, um, which inherently builds into innovation. And as we ourselves are drawing inspiration from the world around us, from the natural world and world and and from the supernatural world, even at that, we being spiritual beings who feel and think and 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 intuit things as we together live and move in the world, it's as if we are reaching into that thin liminal space into the infinite in order to gain insight, inspiration, right? And as we do that, it's 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 almost like this blending um, of of these two worlds, which again Christianity would re- would refer to as you know this kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, that the Jews believed was not somewhere out there or up there, but rather right here, right here in this liminal, thin numinous and luminous space. And so as we live and move in this this way of creating and dreaming and being inspired, it's as if we are pulling into our present this cosmic and expansive, all-encompassing, timeless source of, of creation. And we know, therefore, right, like innovation is found in the infinite, um, I'll, I'll often say. And, and we know that new ideas are possible and will continue to be possible precisely because this nature of, of creation, that nature reflects this in a myriad of ways from the cosmic reality that we are literally never in the same place twice. Um, because the universe is always expanding and moving. Um, But we also see it in the atomic structures of everything that we know is in this field of vision and sight. And so innovation then becomes um, what I would often describe as an act of moving into God, moving into the infinite, asking what is possible, which only comes from this belief, this faith, that there is infinite out there. So we move into God, whether we name it or not, when we ask the best questions or dream of exploring the impossible. Um, Creativity is theological. Theology is creative. Uh, It, I had written in some post some time ago somewhere that it is in God that we get lost and found as creatives, you know. Um, It is in her that we live and move and have our being. And uh, Anyways, I didn't know how long this this episode would be, but I have wandered through a few few different thought forests at this point. I should probably consult my notes again. Let's see here. What did we say at the beginning? I mean, I think we covered everything. I guess the only thing I didn't cover was um, that I I do offer an experience around uh, the Enneagram and coaching towards a greater self-awareness and compassion and kindness. Uh, it's called Nine Spaces. And... 
It's a program or a series of meetings that uh, are really comprised of integrated listening sessions. Uh, I am currently accepting folks on a waiting list. It was a little bit overwhelming and super exciting, but I that's just how I'm doing it. So if you are interested in securing a spot um, that is essentially receiving some Enneagram coaching, though I would like to say it has my own spin on it, right? You know, um, and to be to be part of these integrated listening sessions where I spend a good deal of time listening to your story that you and your voice would would be truly heard and reflected back to you in a way that is helpful. Uh, I also draw in some of my work with systems thinking as well as, you know, some applications around creativity and spirituality for sure, um, but all in service of greater self-awareness. So the goal of Nine Spaces is not to solve a problem. It's not to raise money. It's not to make you a better speaker, you know, or anything like that. Um, It is truly that you would become more aware of those bright spots in your life and lean into them, and that you'd become more aware as well of what is illuminated and, and that you find out is more of the shadow dark sides too, and and how we often seek to hide behind our ego and and those ways that we have built up, you know, so many protective layers over so many years. So uh, if you're interested in something like a Nine Spaces offering and, you know, you want to jump into that, please reach out to me. Uh, You can hit me back at podcast at justinpheap.co or uh, you can also just find information on the website, justinpheep.co slash nine spaces. So with that, my friends, um, we'll call it a wrap and we'll see how the rest of these topics shake out. Um, Until then, stay curious. Mm -hmm.